you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Catherine Myers. Catherine, do you want to say hi? Hello, hello. Well, we've got you back. Uh, you were on episode 354 of Ruby Rogues. Lucky number 354. Yep. It, it's funny because I just got off another interview with our guest for Adventures in Angular that, that had his episode released the same day as yours. So huh. there must be something going Good on day. there. Yeah. And um, we should probably also just plug that you're the newest member of the Ruby Rogues panel. Woohoo! Yeah. So people will be I hearing a little more so from excited. you. Yeah. Can't wait to join. Yeah, I love just getting these different voices with different backgrounds. So it should be really mm -hmm. fun to hear what your take is on things. Yeah, hopefully good takes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we all bring different experience. So I, I don't think you can screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, this show is more focused on programmer stories and the people and where you come from and what you've done and what you're doing. So I'd love to just dive in. How did you get into programming? Yeah. So I feel like it's a little bit different than, than the normal story of how I got it, how someone gets into programming. Everybody um, says that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the one who means it. No. Right. Um, so yeah, I didn't get into programming until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And it came after a career change, a significant career change. Uh, so I, throughout my 20s, was a professional opera singer. And that was always my life. My life was always performing. I was definitely not one of those kids who was like learning how to code when they were you know, 12 or something. I was instead <laughs> in sequin dresses and doing jazz hands and singing show tunes. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it didn't come from like a natural inclination of, oh my gosh, I've always loved computers and I've always loved programming. I'm going to do this now. And instead it came, it came from more of, of a soul searching during my career switch and a lot of asking myself questions of what I want to do, what I want for my life. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it was friends who suggested programming to me. 
Um, and it wasn't completely alien to me, although I didn't grow up coding. I had taught myself HTML when I worked at a nonprofit music school, one of my many day jobs while I was an opera singer. And of course, they had no one to update their website. So I taught myself HTML to do it. And I actually really liked it and started messing with the website probably more than I should have with my lack of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, I didn't break anything. So, um, So I was like, hey, well, I took that first baby step into coding and I actually really liked it probably shirked my other duties Mm because I was so into it so friends started started saying hey I think you'd be good at this actually the first friend who recommended it to me I laughed in his face um (laughs) but then a friend started talking to me more about it and um I started teaching myself more doing online tutorials, Code Academy, Team Treehouse, Code School, all that jazz. Yeah, and another friend told me about boot camps. This idea. <laughs> Three months. Right. And you don't have to go back to school and spend another hundreds of thousands of dollars getting a degree. And that really appealed to me. So I had friends that knew a teacher at Flattern School mm-hmm. and I applied there and I got rejected. And no, really? I totally got rejected. <laughs> um, they liked me, but they couldn't like they couldn't see an opera singer loving coding and specifically back-end coding. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll show you. And so I just kept on teaching myself more and uh, basically stalked Adam Enbar, one of the founders, (laughs) (laughs) went to all of the meetups and every time I'd wave him down, say, hey, and and let him know what I was doing. And, And so then I got, I applied again and I convinced them this time that, hey, I might be good at this and got in. Nice. That's where it all began. You know, it's funny because that's how I tell people to go look for a job yeah. is, you know, you just keep trying. You just keep following them around and being around and being yeah. seen. And yeah, totally. I love that that worked. Yes. Stalking <laughs> <laughs> totally works. <laughs> yeah. You should put together a course on stalking. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see any problems with that whatsoever. That's right. How to follow somebody (laughs) for fun and profit. Yeah. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, I I think people have this idea in their head that it's, okay, well, you know, so-and-so grew up writing code or being on the computer. And so it was just kind of an automatic progression for them to become a programmer. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it takes work. And even even those of us, I mean, I grew up messing around with computers. Um, I didn't take it seriously until I had graduated. And then it was like, oh, oh, this programming thing's actually kind of cool. And I had done some programming in school. I have a computer engineering degree. But yeah, it's it's still work, right? It's still work to yeah. get there. And if you're really serious about it, it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. I... I don't think I've worked that hard in my life than those three months at Flatiron. I've never been more exhausted in my life than those three months. Well, and Uh, what's funny there too is uh, my brother-in-law went to, I can't remember which school, but 
he he studied opera and you know graduated um with music he teaches high school music now but um and and it was basically just that he couldn't make enough to support a family because they have like four kids now doing the opera singing but Mm -hmm. that's a ton of work too it's a ton of practice and a ton of just you know sometimes grueling work just making sure that you have everything down oh definitely I I feel like the work that I had at Flatiron School was a different type yes. of work and a different type of extending my brain mm-hmm. than than in my opera career. But yeah, <laughs> the opera career definitely is a ton of work. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. So yeah, I don't want to. I, I just kind of want to give people context, right? It's mm-hmm. like none of this is automatic. Um, Very, very, very true. I mean, it takes a lifetime mm -hmm. to really master opera singing and, um, and you probably never really do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but people still work with coaches and teachers well into their career. It's not like a one and done. You have your degree. Now you are a master, even though I have a master's. Mm -hmm. So I should be a master, but yeah, no. we'll all just call you master on the show. Okay. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <toward> that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's lifelong learning and, yeah. and especially since your voice is always changing as well, mm-hmm. subtly, like physically your vocal cords are changing. And, and so you're constantly working to enhance those subtle changes Mm -hmm. and, and work with your body to improve. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So how did you get into Ruby? Was it Flatiron School or was there something else before then or afterward? It was Flatiron School. Yeah. Which is great because I feel like if I had just opened this door into programming with all of the different languages there, I probably mm-hmm. would have had analysis paralysis and never learned anything. Right. So the great thing about having Flatiron as my goal when I w- was just starting out was like, okay, I knew what language I was going to start with. So I could hit the ground running and just start learning Ruby. And I'm really glad I did. There's definitely a reason why a bunch of boot camps start with Ruby. It is such a wonderful language to start with. Um, the barrier to entry is way lower than I think with Java or, you know, C sharp or C plus, whatever. So it's, it's just elegant. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here in a podcast (laughs) for Rubius, but, um, it also, the fact that it is so high level, Uh is so helpful when you're just starting. Right. It also is, it becomes a little bit of a challenge later on when you're trying to understand the more low level stuff, but coming into programming as a noob, it was really helpful that you can focus on the the more high level stuff without having to think of, you know, memory allocation or, um, how linked lists are working and, and all that jazz. Um, and that's something that you can kick down the road a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, yeah. And, and I usually ask, well, what was it about Ruby? But I think you articulated that. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have a couple other questions, though. One is, is that I see people go through boot camps where they're taught web development with Ruby, maybe with Rails. And then they're taught usually some kind of front end framework or front end system, right? And mm-hmm. it seems like about half of the people who go through these boot camps opt for full on front end work. So why why go with the back end? You mean in terms of of, of your your decision, you know, to stick with Rails? Uh, well, yeah, actually, I'm full stack. Okay. So I, and it was an interesting path for me because so so Flatiron is mostly back end. They mm-hmm. do have some JavaScript in their curriculum, and actually, I think they have increased that to better prepare for a more full stack, right? Um, web dev. But my first job outside of Flatiron was actually only front end. Oh, really? And yeah, it was just the it was <laughs> a, an opportunity that came to me, and it was like just a couple weeks after graduation. And I said, "This sounds really cool." It was uh, Red Antler, which mm-hmm. is a branding agency in Brooklyn. I was living in New York at the time, right? And um, I was like, "This sounds like really cool work," and you know. Do I want to do just front end? Uh, I don't know, but hey, here's a way to find out. Um, so I ended up taking the job, uh, not knowing if I would like a job just in front end, but I'm actually really glad I did. Uh, it really leveled up my CSS skills and my JavaScript skills mm-hmm. um, in a way I don't think would have happened if I just gone into a back end job. So I got to like build some really cool sites designed some by some amazingly talented designers and just become a I was about to say a rock star and such a like growy word became a fun <laughs> um, but I'm really glad I got that because even though I did decide that you know hey I actually really miss dealing with data and dealing with backend logic and that kind of problem solving. My next step going into a more full stack role, I found myself at an advantage because there are so many backend developers that really don't ever invest mm-hmm. in, in the front end, especially things like CSS. There's a lot of developers who are just like kind of brush off CSS and hey, guess what? It's important. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely see this bias that we have. I mean, I talk to people who are writing Rails apps and they almost don't want to even think about or touch front-end frameworks. That and, is so true. I've seen that as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. And to some degree, I understand, right? I mean, if you're running an if you're writing an app that can just have some simple interactions, works real nice. Mm-hmm. maybe jQuery or stimulus or something like that looks really nice. And then mm-hmm. you've got other people who, you know, fully embrace it. And we've had Justin Gordon and some of these other folks on who have written integrations between React and Rails and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's always interesting to see what kinds of problems people are solving and then which way they lean. Yeah. People can kind of dismiss it as mm-hmm. not as hard as back end. Right, and I think that's a really narrow-minded view of it. Um, like you said, yeah. there are some front ends that are super easy. 
you know, you don't need to be a whiz mm-hmm. to, to make it. But there are also some really, really hard front-end problems to solve. And it's just a different kind of complexity. You know, a lot of times it's a complexity that you can see versus an abstract complexity that you will never be able to like physically right. see. And you kind of just have to think of it in this abstract way. Uh, so honestly, I feel like the people who dismiss the front end just haven't delved into it in a, in a deep way. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that, and, and we're seeing this a lot on the front end, is that they're doing really, really, really interesting things. And they, they steal or borrow liberally from each other. Yes. And I wonder sometimes if we've just kind of stuck our heads in the sand a little bit as Ruby folks. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but we've stuck our heads in the sand a little bit and said, that's not our way. And so we don't even look at it where in reality, there may be something interesting that we could adopt from that. Yeah. And front end is getting way more complex. I feel like there's, there's also like two different types of front ends. Like there's Mm -hmm. the static front end development and then there's dynamic front end development. Yeah. And dynamic front end development has gotten crazy. I mean, the things that you can do there. Oh yeah. We're barely even dealing with with back end. You're doing a lot of logic on the front end, so it's it's going bonkers. Yeah. So got to get with it. (laughs) I just heard you say that all Rails is good for is GraphQL. I would never say that. I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I think the real point here, and, and maybe if I can boil down these ideas to a single sentence, is that if you are quickly dismissing another point of view, you've probably oversimplified it. And what I mean by that is, is you've boiled it down, you know, so you're thinking the front end is just this or just that. And so it's, it's not worth considering. And you've oversimplified it to the point where you don't see the usefulness in it anymore. Yeah. And And I've seen that where people are like, oh, I hate this. I hate that. When in reality, they mean they just don't know this and they don't mm -hmm. know that and they haven't worked with this and they haven't worked with that. Yeah. Well, we see this in the political discourse today, too, where most most of the time when I talk to people who have the opposing political view for myself, if I have already dismissed what they're saying, yeah, I've oversimplified something. I've left something out. You know, the the, the truth is hardly ever cut and dried along those political lines. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting. So go talk to people that have that different background, that different point of view, that different thing that they do and find mm-hmm. out why, find out what their concerns are. Cause that's the other thing is that, you know, we had a long discussion when we talked about react on rails and basically when would you need this was something that, that we talked a lot about and yeah, we looked at the apps that they were building over at uh, Shaka Code, and the UI really did call for it, really did call for React. And then I've built other systems where having it statically load in Rails is fine. Yeah, so, totally. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of context around what we have to look at. But mm-hmm. Everything anyway. is always more complex than you think. Yes, always. <laughs> Moral of the story. Yeah. So now that we've gone way off on this tangent, um, let's talk more about you. So what have you done in Ruby that you're particularly proud of? Oh, goodness. That's a good question. (laughs) Or in the Ruby community. Um, Well, I'm 
pretty proud of my involvement within the Ruby community. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of the fact that I, I had the opportunity to speak at RubyConf last year. It is an incredible community. I actually gave a talk on music and code, which we mm -hmm. talked about um, on Ruby Rogi, Ruby Rogues, Ruby Rogi, woo, Ruby Rogi, <laughs> uh, new podcast. Let's. That's right. That. <laughs> I'm gonna name my band um, that. And so I was really proud to to kind of get into that that community and to be able to speak on something that I knew. But I have to say, like, in order like to qualify what I'm proud of, it's kind of just my own learning process with Ruby mm -hmm. and where I've come um, in kind of taking it to the next level of, of le learning what it does under the hood and how, I've, how that is relating to CS fundamentals as well. Yeah, I just, I'm just loving learning Ruby. Awesome. What are you working on now? Uh, so I work at Mavenlink. So it is a project management and resource planning software, uh, B2B software, and mm -hmm. uh, it is all Ruby on Rails in the back end. And on the front end, our legacy code is Backbone and our uh, newer code is in React. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a, lo a lot of fun to build. It is a really big software, which is kind of overwhelming and crazy, but also makes it so you're never bored. Right. Yeah. I really want to dig in how you blend React and Backbone, but I won't. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of crazy and awesome and a little Frankenstein-y. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'd love to see a solution that doesn't have bolts kind of coming out of its neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that terrific way to put it. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at digitalocean.com. Yeah. So um, since I'm an opera singer and I come from the classical music world, my first pick definitely has to be one of my favorite listen to while coding pieces of music. And it is Schubert's Symphony Number no. 8 which is actually an unfinished symphony. And it's just one of my favorite things to listen to. Also along the fun line of picks, I have this game I love called GeoGuessr. Have you ever played it? Uh-uh. Oh my God. Okay, maybe don't start until you have some free time because you <laughs> will get a little addicted. There it's goes a few hours of Chuck's time right there. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it lands you anywhere in the world and you get the like the google maps um road view uh -huh. and you have to guess where you are oh, so wow. you can like move along the road and try to take a look at the signs and stuff and and guess where you are and it is awesome and it also always makes me want to travel more 
So blessing and a curse. (laughs) And finally, I love to read. And so my last pick is a book that was probably my favorite book that I read in the past year. And it's called Sharing the Work. And it's by Myra Strober. And it is just a wonderful book on... uh, She was one of the first educators to create a women's studies curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it is a really a good read into her path through feminism and and her fight and how we can continue to fight. And I think it's an amazing read for men and women alike. Um, It is really inspiring. That sounds really, really interesting too. And, you know, kind of back to the conversation we were having before, I've had arguments with people where I, I come out a little bit more lukewarm on feminism than a lot of people would like me to be. But at the same time, the kinds of conversations that come out of reading books like this and understanding where people are coming from. I mean, I have changed views on some of these things and I've learned different things uh, about uh, the way that people look at life. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's what's really valuable. You know, a lot of people get really frustrated about some of the political correctness out there. But if you can get past that on both sides and really just have the conversations, I think it's highly valuable. So You know, I I appreciate you recommending a book like this where, you know, people can go and explore a point of view that they may not hold. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it is such a hot topic because Mm -hmm. there are so many different expressions of feminism. But if you boil it down to it, you know, if you believe that someone should be given the same opportunity regardless of gender, then you're a feminist. Mm-hmm. And everything else that goes around it is an expression of feminism. And, and I think that's what gets people in heated discussions is the expression of feminism. Right. But if we just boil it down to what it is, and I know there are plenty of people who don't even believe in that, but there are tons who do. Um, so I think it's, it's important to have those discussions with that in mind. Yep, absolutely. And, and I would dare say that most people would agree that regardless of your gender or your race or anything, you know, you should have the same opportunity as anybody else. Yes, that is the hope. I would hope that every person believes right. that, but I know it's not the case. Yeah, but yeah, some of the ways that it gets expressed are often controversial. Well, I, I don't yeah. even know if often, because I think even then, you know, generally you talk to people and you're just like, oh, you're a person just like me. Yeah, and, totally. And I, and I, I, think, I, I think I think that's the most the common label. expression of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the label feminist. Yeah, that's a loaded term. It is. And only because people are are taking in the expression of feminism Mm -hmm. into that label. And there's so many different ways of expressing it. So it can you can take something that you really disagree with an expression of feminism that you disagree with and like and put that on the feminist label. Yep. Yeah. You can stand that up as the straw man instead Mm -hmm. of the actual idea. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Well, I'm going to jump in with a few books uh, and other picks. Um, so one of the things I do when I'm trying to go to sleep at night is I listen to fiction and I kind of have to listen to books that I've already read before because otherwise I wind up missing whole chunks of it as I start to doze off. And then I start skipping back and I'm like, oh, oh, I did hear this part. And then I realize, yeah, but I dropped out for like three minutes of the part before it. So, um, anyway, the book that I've been reading, just going to sleep is called running with the demon by Terry Brooks. 
And uh, the main protagonist is a 14-year-old girl that lives in rural Illinois. And then there uh, there are other magic wielders. Um, her grandmother's kind of her mentor. And, uh, you know, she protects this park. But there's, there's this whole series of events that occur where a demon comes into town. And a knight of the word, which is, you know, another magic wielder who's a good guy, comes in. To, you know, to do battle with the demon and, and she's kind of at the center of the whole thing. And it's, it's really kind of a fun book. And then, um, I've also been reading another book or listening to another book. I read with my phone <laughs> with audible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, oh, with audible. I thought you meant actually. Read. So, no. <laughs> so anyway, um, the other one that I've been listening to is 12 rules for life an antidote to chaos. And that's by Jordan B. Peterson. And, I have really been digging it and I have to say that I'm probably going to have to go back and listen to it again, but he has so much just solid advice in there for anybody who's looking to have a, a really just meaningful life. And so, um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. And just to give a little bit of context, he, people were asking a question on like how to live a good life on Quora, which is Quora.com which is kind of a question and answer. It's like Stack Overflow, except you can ask anything. And uh, so he he posted these 12 rules for life, and he just kind of made them up when he answered the question. And it got shared like two or 3,000 times and then just kind of took on a life of its own. So he wrote a book and just explained each of these 12 rules for life. And I have to say they're tremendous. So uh, I'm going to pick that as well. And then my last pick, if I can find it, I read this the other day and I just, I thought it was awesome. Um, Mike Rowe, if you ever watch Dirty Jobs, he has uh, Mike Rowe Works Foundation and, you know, they do all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to get into all of that stuff. But um, anyway, one of the things he does is he has a scholarship program that you can use to go, you know, learn a trade or things like that. And in order to do it, you have to sign his sweat pledge and sweat stands for skill and work ethic aren't taboo. And it, it's awesome. I love the sweat pledge. I just, I read it and I was like, yeah, we, we need more of this in, in, you know, in life. So, uh, I encourage people to go check it out and, uh, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed that. It's, uh, 12 points, kind of like the 12, 12 points for or 12, but it's, they're different anyway. Um, really liked it. So, and, and every time I hear Mike Rowe talk about life, I kind of go, yeah, yeah. He's kind of got the right idea there. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, Catherine, if people want to see what you're working on these days, maybe you have a blog or a Twitter account that people can follow you at, where do they go? Yeah, so I am most active on Twitter, CC Myers 324. And you can also check me out at CatherineMyers.com. Awesome. And does the 324 mean something? My birthday, because CC Myers was taken. I was oh, kind of late go. to the Twitter game. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Well, we're late, but happy birthday then. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> all right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, folks, and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.